Welcome y bienvenidos to About Consent, the podcast that sparks conversations about creating consent culture, boundary repair, sexual empowerment, orgasm equality, and raising a new sexually conscious and consent-empowered generation. This is a safe, shame-free, judgment-free zone where both survivors and those who support survivors are welcome. I'm your host, Rosalia Rivera. If we cannot be brave enough to use the right words to describe the true horror of what children are coerced to do, how can we expect children to be brave enough to use the right words and to talk to trusted adults about what's happening to them online? This is from the Internet Watch Foundation's website, a blog post called Category A Child Sexual Abuse Material of a Self-Generated Nature, and the Internet Watch Foundation's Snapshot Study. Now, I'm going to review this article with you, kind of like YouTubers review a movie or a game or video. I'm reviewing a blog post that I think deserves a lot of attention. This is important information that all parents need to be aware of. And at the end, I'm going to give you lots of information of what you can do, both in terms of prevention or if you ever find yourself in a position where your child is being exploited online. Now, I'm going to go through it and read some sections to you and unpack it, and I would love to hear your comments and questions over social media after the podcast is over. So to preface this article or this blog post, there was a final report by the Independent Inquiry into Child Sexual Abuse. Professor Alexis J. OB2, the inquiry's chair, calls for plain and clear language to be used when talking about child sexual abuse. She said in her opening statement to the final report, we need to use the correct words to describe the actions of abusers, masturbation and oral rape, penetration by objects. These words are still not considered acceptable terms by many in public and private discourse. Every incident of abuse is a crime and should not be minimized or dismissed as anything less or downplayed because descriptions of the, of the abuse might cause offense. I agree. She's absolutely right. This is 2023, and we need to be open and honest about the reality of this global crisis. The blog continues on, and it says, It is thanks to her remarks and the Internet Watch Foundation that has decided to make this data publicly available and to describe what we're seeing as accurately as we can. So to give you a little bit of background, the Internet Watch Foundation has been tracking an increase in what's called self-generated content, child sexual abuse that is actually self-generated, meaning that the child is producing the content, but it is because they are being coerced to do so. It continues on and says, we've also published data over many years relating to an increase in the amount of self-generated CSA or child sexual abuse material. We can also call it CSAM. Now, if you're interested in reading this article, this, this blog post, of course, I will have it in the show notes. And there's a link on this blog post to read the Internet Watch Foundation's annual report if you're interested. Now, I want to warn you that there is uh, some really strong content that may be triggering. So please proceed with caution. But if you're interested, you'll find the link available. 
All right. Then he continues and says, we assess child sexual abuse material according to the levels detailed in the sentencing council's sexual offenses definitive guideline. Okay. So lots more specifics here. If you work in the field, definitely check out this article. It will give you a lot of various links to a lot of data and research that I believe they've used here. So to break down these different categories, I'm going to read to you what each category is defined as. So category A is defined as images involving penetrative sexual activity, images involving sexual activity with an animal or sadism. So that just even takes a moment to process, right? I mean, I know that that even on itself may have been triggering. So please remember to take some deep breaths. Remember that you are safe in this moment and that you are able to regulate your body, reclaim your body, knowing that if you are a survivor of any kind of abuse, that kind particularly, that you are now safe. So please take a moment, take a breath if needed, come back to the episode if need be. We're going to continue on to learn about category B. Now, category B is images involving non-penetrative sexual activity. And category C is other indecent images not falling within categories A or B. Now, it continues on to say, in the spring of 2022, the Internet Watch Foundation's analysts assessed a video of a young girl who was around seven or eight years old. She had been recorded while playing with her doll and lying on her bed, and an online abuser appeared to instruct her to do a multitude of inappropriate acts, which I won't detail here. But as per this blog post, it is pretty horrific. Even to our analysts, it continues on. It says, even to our analysts whose resilience to this material is high, it was viewed as a truly horrific crime. This coupled with questions to the Internet Watch Foundation about how a child on their own in most cases could be seen in penetrative sexual activity led to this study. So having seen that particular situation made them realize that they needed to look into these cases more and to look at the prevalence. So it says, having seen that, this is why they decided to examine more closely. And I mean, wow, I, I need to take a minute myself before I keep reading this. So there is... There are horrific things going on in the world, and I'm sure I'm, I just read a section that I really don't think any survivor here needs to hear, um, but if you are interested, again, in reading the description because you want to understand or you don't feel that it will be triggering, um, again, you can find it in the show notes, but it was a bit triggering to me, to be honest. So I just prefer to spare you specific gruesome details. There is no story told here except to explain a particular scene that was viewed by analysts and it was truly horrifying i mean honestly it's scary to think that people do this to children and to realize that there's children that have had these horrible things happen and have to go into adulthood and trying to heal from that it's truly horrendous i mean there's no other word for it now again i didn't go into details so i'm not going to do that to you but I think this is important for people who are not survivors, who have no real understanding of what goes on, how absolutely horrific and horrendous this is for children to have to go through. We need to know 
we, we need to be aware, we need to have our eyes open to these realities so that we can do something about it. I am absolutely not here to just share victim stories, survivor stories, or to share gruesome details. That's not the point of this episode or this podcast. It's really to remind everyone that these are critical conversations that we need to have, not just with children, but with more importantly, with the adults in our children's lives and to just become more aware, proactive, and even get involved if you have the capacity to get involved on a bigger scale, like where you are, you know, moving policy forward that can protect children, where you have any kind of sphere of influence within government policies or within um, tech companies even, you know, and especially I should say, because they do absolutely have a responsibility here. Now, let me continue. It says here, when a child is engaged in any type of sexual activity, either alone or with a perceived peer on webcam, it could be understood that this is due to sexual exploration. However, this is not reflective of what our analysts see in their work. So I think that when parents think of self-generated content, they're thinking, oh, someone's, you know, taking a selfie or you know, sexting or doing a nude and sending it to a guy that they want to impress. And, you know, hopefully if that happens, you know, the child isn't exploited further, um, that that's as far as it goes. But in most cases, what is being seen is that it goes way beyond that. And it isn't just about sex, sexual exploitation or sorry, sexual exploration. It actually turns into sexual exploitation we have to understand that this is not what analysts are actually seeing. So the idea that we have in our head of how kids are generating this content, what that content looks like, when they generate it, that is actually not what analysts, what the trend that analysts are seeing. What they're actually seeing is coercive, inappropriate, abusive content. So to further explain a bit their methodology of how they've gathered this information, which I thought was really interesting to understand. So it says, we collected all of the category A CSAM and which fitted the self-generating definition. This is child sexual abuse content created using webcams or smartphones and then shared online via a growing number of platforms. In some cases, children are groomed, deceived, or extorted into producing and sharing a sexual image or video of themselves by someone who is not physically present in the room with the child. So category A is considered to be penetrative activity, including activity involving an animal or sadism. It says anything that fitted this description within the time frame allocated was included in this study. And whilst the term self-generated indicates that the child is creating the content themselves, it is vital to remember that the children are being groomed online and instructed to engage in this behavior. No blame should be placed on the child. Now, let's look at the results. It says here, over the course of five days, they found 896 images, which means 896 images involving penetrative sexual activity. I can't even say it, and images involving activity with an animal or sadism, this average is 179 category A images a day. It equates to 25 category A images every hour. 
And these 668 of these images contained children ages 11 to 13. So that's about 75%. So older, but here's where it's been increasing, is that 184 of these images contained seven to 10 year olds. And 44 of these images contained 14 to 15 year olds or 5%. So that's another interesting segment there. What, additionally, it says that of the gender of the sex the gender or sex of the victims, one was just a boy, six contained boys and girls, and 889 of those images or videos contained just girls. So 99% of the content of who is being abused is girls. Now, analysis of the penetrative objects, um, there was a whole analysis of what objects were being used for penetration, which again, I'm not gonna get into here. A lot of detail about about that. Um, and again, this is pretty horrendous. Certainly not necessary for parents to read unless you are a professional within the space uh, looking to understand this research. But I can tell you that th these are certainly objects that no child should be playing with in this way, that they shouldn't be directed to play in this way. It was a very disturbing um, blog section of this blog post to read, quite frankly. And what was really concerning is that, yes, animals and sadism, bestiality and sadism were included with this. We need to understand, first of all, what is driving this? And secondly, we need to understand that children are being given access to the internet without safety conversations in-depth, comprehensive conversations. Because unfortunately, what's, the, what's emerging here is an understanding that children who have access to the internet, who are unsupervised, who are being given access to social media, to gaming platforms where they're being groomed, to the internet in general, where they have access to other kind of content where, you know, where maybe they can then become potential offenders because of the kind of content that they're seeing. These children are not being protected both by the platforms that they're using or by being given appropriate education so that they don't even get into these kinds of situations in the first place. Or if they are tricked into these kinds of situations that they know what to do, that they know how to report to someone, right? I feel like we're truly failing kids when we don't prioritize education on this. And I will die saying this. This is like, this is to me the crisis of our era that we really need to address once and for all. And I will find somehow a way to, to do this before I die <laughs> because this is horrendous. And, you know, I have children. I am always vigilant about this, especially now as they're getting older, especially now as they are asking for more and more access to the online space. And because I know that I'm not supported by these tech companies, that they don't have my children's best interest in mind, because I know that the government, really all governments of the world need to be together on this because it is a global issue. The internet has no physical boundaries. We are it feels like as parents, we're on our own, right? And so in order to have 
the courage and the strength to put boundaries in place about technology and the internet with our children, we need to understand why it is so important so that we can have that determination, not just to prevent our children from getting on to these platforms, but also so that we as parents can have conversations with other parents, with other adults, with other figures of authority within schools to say, look, we need to collectively do something about this. I'm not letting my kids have a phone until they're at least 13 or 16. Can we collectively get together and talk about this and figure out what's the best way forward as a community, right? This is why I think it's so important to have awareness of this information. It's a global emergency, and I don't say that lightly, but it really is. Okay, moving on to the next part of this section of this article, it talks about how they analyzed the hosting, I guess, of this content, where it comes from. Uh, so it says here that they've assessed that images uh, or videos fail that fail UK law because the Internet Watch Foundation is in the United Kingdom. It says, our aim is to get it removed from the internet as fast as possible. To do this, we perform a trace on the content to identify the physical server that the content is hosted on. This tells us which partners in which country we need to work with. And when the content is removed from the physical server, its source, then we can be sure that the image has been removed from any website or forums or image boards, et cetera, that, could, that it could be linking to. So getting it removed from the physical server is the key. So it shows a table of countries in which imagery was hosted the most. And to be clear, this does not tell us which country the victims or offenders were in, nor from which country the content was uploaded online. So it's not saying like where it originated from. This is just where it was at the time when it was found. And it doesn't mean that the victim is from that place or that country. So the images during this uh, study, this percentage of content that they were looking at says that number one country was Taiwan, next is the Netherlands, Slovak Republic, Malaysia, Romania, Bulgaria, France, United States, Germany, China, Thailand, Hong Kong, Russia, Luxembourg. You know, we're talking about global, like this is in every region of the world. And I think a lot of people tend to think that this is happening uh, everywhere else, but not in my backyard. And there's, it says here that there was a young British girl who was actually uh, in one of these videos, seemed very comfortable with what she was doing. She was about 14 years old, though she looked younger. She was on some kind of um, platform where there were multiple viewers and she was essentially performing for them. And some people would say, well, you know, she seems like she was fine doing that and she's 14 and maybe she's just exploring her sexuality or she's using the platform to make money to do this. Um, but in a lot of cases, this is actually being directed by someone even within the home um, in what would be even a, a, a online trafficking exploitation type of situation. And one of the things that I've learned in some of my other research is that a very high percentage of offenders who are creating or producing child sexual abuse material 
are parents. They have the most access. They have the ability to um, to record the abuse, upload it. And if it is a parent, um, there's a very low chance that the child is going to report the abuse. And so the reason I wanted to talk about this particular study from the Internet Watch Foundation about Category A abuse being on the rise is because a lot of experts in the field of abuse prevention had speculated at the beginning of the pandemic that this was going to cause an increase in abuse and reports, and that all turned out to be true and accurate. Unfortunately, we also felt that once the pandemic was over, we would start to see these numbers decrease again, and that is not what we're seeing. We're actually seeing that this trend is continuing to rise um, with the onslaught of so many children having been given access to devices that connect to the internet, not being given safety education, parents who had access during the pandemic and continued to have access, obviously, after the pandemic and were continuing to exploit their children, um, have continued to find outlets and space on the internet for that material to continue to live on. And so that's what we're seeing today is that there is not only an increase in abuse and reports of abuse, but that the types of abuse are becoming increasingly concerning. Now, this is the very first episode of a series of episodes that I'm going to talk about online abuse, online safety, and the different things that are happening across the world in terms of governments and legislation why it's important for parents to be paying attention to this, why it's important for survivors to be paying attention to this. And of course, more importantly, what we can do, what are the calls to action? What can we do as parents, as adults, as caregivers, as a community to make a change, to increase prevention efforts, education efforts? All of these things are critically important if we are serious about preventing abuse for our children even as young as infants and toddlers, because one of the things I didn't mention um, that was that was talked about in the article is that they are also seeing an increase in abuse to infants as young as newborns and toddlers. And again, this is a high increase in these numbers by parents being offenders of younger and younger children who then record it and distribute it online. So this is really for all parents across the board. And one of the things that I am aiming to do with this podcast series, this particular series around online safety is to help everyone, parents in particular, understand how when I say online safety, I'm talking about online safety as it relates to infants, as young as newborns, all the way to an 18-year-old who may be uh, harassed or exploited online. This is across the spectrum, friends, and we cannot pretend like it's not happening. We can't wait until our children are older to then address and deal with this. And we all need to understand it better so that we can do something about it, so we can take action, so that we're not passive and we are actively doing something to protect not just our own children, but all children. So 
I wanted to kick it off with this Internet Watch Foundation blog post review because I was really shocked, to be honest. I mean, it takes a lot to shock me at this point with all the research that I do. It takes a lot to shock me. I think the last time that I was this shocked was when I found out that there were pedophile communities in the dark web, like with millions of users. I was really shocked. And that was about two years ago. And I really thought I knew how abuse can happen everywhere, but this is a whole other level. And we cannot be okay with this. We cannot just pretend like this is somebody else's problem because it will come knocking at your door if it hasn't already. So friends, I hope that you will continue to tune in to these internet safety series episodes. Um, I will have more coming up on um, the EU legislation proposals that are happening in the UK uh, or in Europe rather, um, what's happening with that? Why do we need to know about it if we're in North America or any other part of the world? And some of the details behind it, because I think a lot of people don't really understand it. And because of that, they can't lobby or, or advocate for their local representatives or their national representatives um, to vote in the way that is in the best interest of children and their safety. So I will be talking more about that. Um, but in the meantime, I invite you to check out the link that I've posted in the show notes if you have the stomach for it, um, or share this episode with other parents and let them know that it is now time to become informed, educated, and aware of online safety, why it matters, um, how to become proactive, how to make sure that we're spotting signs of grooming if we see it within our home so that we can make sure that there is no kind of parental abuse happening behind closed doors um, to make sure that our children are safe, that everyone's children are safe. So thank you so much for tuning in. This was um, a, a bit of a hard one to record because after reading that blog post, um, there was a lot to process. And if this was triggering for you, please remember to uh, take some time to ground yourself, to find support. I've also put some links in the show notes for additional mental health resources um, and other episodes where I've talked about mental health and grounding strategies that I invite you to tune into as well. If you have any questions, please reach out. Feel free to connect with me. I'm always on Instagram. I always love hearing from you. I love hearing about your ahas, your takeaways, anything that you want to share, make sure to tag me at Consent Parenting. Again, either on Instagram, Twitter, um, or Facebook, or even LinkedIn. I'm there as well. So thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. I hope that this was informative, and I hope that it motivated you to learn more. See you at the next episode. Don't miss the next episode. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And I would be so grateful if you took one minute to post a five-star rating and reviews on iTunes so that others can also find this information. I will be shouting you out and thanking you on the next episode. If you found this useful, be sure to share it with others as well. Let's continue to create consent culture one conversation at a time. Stay empowered.